Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. On the 21st edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we find out all the winners of the Country Fire Magazine Awards. Hello and you're very welcome to the Walks Around Britain podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide through the next 20 minutes of walking and outdoor chat. Now in this edition, we're looking at the winners of the Country Fire Magazine Awards. And to talk through them with me, I'm joined from Bristol by the editor of Country Fire magazine, Fergus Collins. Welcome to the podcast, Fergus. Uh, how are you? I'm good. So good, good. As- tell me a bit about the history of the Country Fire magazine awards. Well, we set these up a couple of years ago because we thought there weren't really awards that celebrated the best bits of the countryside, all the little bits that our readers enjoy. So it might be great gardens to visit or heritage sites, country writing, just the whole amorphous joy of the countryside. It's varied between 12 and 10 categories. This year we've got 10 categories. And it's a chance for us to say thank you for making the countryside a wonderful place to all these people and, and for our readers to, to get involved and to, and to have their say too. So this year we've, I think we've had double the number of votes to last year and hopefully it'll keep going. Excellent. So let's kick off announcing the winners. Why don't we start with Best Market Town? Because that always seems to get people going. And last year, Louth in Lincolnshire won. And there was a huge sort of Twitter campaign to get the (laughs) votes in. And this time, I don't know how they did it. But Whitby is almost a wonderful town. I'm not surprised it's won. But we call it Best Market Town. What we really mean is attractive country town with independent shops and a real sense of identity. So lots of people say, well, Whitby isn't a market town. doesn't have a market. Um, well, okay, I, I get that, but uh, it's really... It's an ethos. Yes, it's small towns of, sort of less than 10,000 people, generally, and uh, that provide you with that some, a base for exploring the countryside around, but are influenced by that landscape as well. So they've, they've got sort of rich rural heritage, and they're just fun places to explore, particularly when it's raining and you can't go up on the hills nearby. You just want somewhere to have a nice pub to relax in, or perhaps a couple of coffee shops and antique shops and all the sort of things. that you. Whitby's got it all, plus it's got the, the harbour and the, the fishing heritage, so you can buy fresh fish there. And uh, it just It's a beautiful, picturesque site. And, of course, you can use it as a base to go on to the North York Moors Railway down to Pickering. Absolutely. All these places that were entered are great places to base yourself. So when it's raining, stay in the village, stay in the town. <laughs> when it's not, get up on North York Moors or, or as you say, on the, on the steam railway. And there's also some of the best fish and chip shops in Whitby. Yes, I believe so. I've actually never been to Whitby, to my shame. So um, <gasps> I can only go on your say. That sounds like a feature article there. I know, I should go. Uh, John Craven um, <laughs> loves it. We did some awards a few years back about the Britain's most romantic ruin. Whitby Abbey was voted, so, yes. and he's, he was a big fan. So. so that's the market town. What's next? Yeah, it's quite an interesting one. Best Heritage Site was actually won by a garden, but it's the Lost Gardens of Heligan. Ah, so, yes. Um, down in Cornwall, where they were 
well, up until relatively recently, sort of 25 years ago or something like that, th- these gardens have been completely overgrown, taken over by nature. And the organisation got together and have restored these fantastic gardens. Again, it's actually, I've not been there. So there's another place that I need to <laughs> go and explore. But This is starting to be a list of places you need to see. I know, I know. There are all the rest, though, I feel quite confident about. At least I've been to Cornwall. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's just one of these romantic places. It's Lost Gardens from colleagues who've been there, and John Craven as well. He, he was the man who produced our shortlist for this category. He says, These thousand acres of formal gardens and woods are a glorious tribute to Britain's gardening heritage. And I think that's right. But beyond that, there are just so many nooks and crannies and wanting spooky areas. So I'm told it's what you want in a garden. You want lots of almost like lots of little rooms to explore. I'm more of a fan of those sort of gardens than some of those big capability brown landscapes where everything is bold and big and draws the countryside into the garden. I prefer quiet corners, cool ponds and things like that. And it's a fantastic place to visit with some great places to walk too. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I like this element of that it's a, a heritage site as much as a garden, but it's also part of its landscape as well. So then we have Britain's favourite garden. Yes, and um, this is one by Wisley. Now, this is a place I have been to. This is Royal Horticultural <laughs> Society. It's in Surrey. It's a really wonderful place. I used to be taken there as a kid by my parents. I always railed against this idea of going to gardens. But Wisley, <laughs> for me, it was all these network of ponds and exotic, uh, the giant rhubarb and carp and strange fish in the ponds. Wonderful flower arrangements and beds running off into the distance. I think now I'd probably appreciate the, the whole gardening ethos a bit more, but I'd love to roam it. And I'm glad it's one. I think it's a really interesting place and it's accessible. So it's Surrey. It's not far off the M3. I think that's why we used to go to it so much because we would always be traveling west and it was on the way. Um, but you can get to it from London. You can get to it from sort of Reading, Southampton area. It's, it's got a whole load of ready punters to, to visit and I, I think that's what makes it a, a sort of memorable place and why it's received so many votes Yes and it does tick a lot of boxes as you're not just walking around loads of flowers there are loads of other things to enjoy too Yes and I think these gardens these days show you more how to do it yourself and how they've created it so it's no longer just a flower museum it's yes. become a much more immersive experience so you get a real sense that it's achievable yourself on a smaller scale obviously and there are lots of things to do with children there activities and events yes yes although as as a kid i always quite liked doing the sort of slightly off uh, off message things of (laughs) pond dipping in ponds you weren't supposed to dip in and uh, 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 so (laughs) building up to your future career well (laughs) yeah i'm i'm all for children's activities at these things but i also think uh, you know, my my best memories are slightly breaking the rules. Perhaps I shouldn't be saying that, but there we go. I love sleep. <laughs> Moving on to nature reserves, yeah. then. Not too far away. Yes, not so far away uh, on the south coast. Um, I should say that all these categories, the shortlist for them, were chosen by various experts and friends of the magazine. So we had, for this category, we had Ellie Harrison from the show, who has a very, very strong natural history background. And yes. then Mark Cocker, who's a wonderful nature writer, lives up in Norfolk. So the two of them put together this top ten. And from that, Brown Sea Island has ah, won, which yes. feels like you're on some sort of famous five or swallows and Amazons adventure when you land there. Yes. It feels a little bit away from adults and <laughs> back to childhood again. <laughs> but it's got tremendous wildlife there. The National Trusts run most of it. I think they own all of it, actually. But Dorset Wildlife Trust are also involved and run a nature reserve on the island and including some of the lagoons there, which are very, very good for wetland birds. I think you get avocets there in large numbers, but you also get 
spoonbills, which when I were a lad, you didn't see spoonbills in this country. So you get the, the fantastic birds with great long spoonbills, funny enough, which they use to filter various little aquatic crustaceans from the water. But they're, they're very uh, entertaining as they go sort of wandering around the shallows. But on dry land, you've got seeker deer in the woods, but also red squirrels. It's one of the few, probably the only place in the south of England, aside from the Isle of Wight, where you can see red squirrels So in the wild. Fantastic. And it's just a really lovely place. It feels if there's no cars there. And that makes such a difference when you are out exploring the countryside. I find it in cities, actually, when you're in a pedestrianised street, you sort of think, why am I feeling relaxed? And it's because there's yes. an imminent threat of death. But also the... Um, the noise isn't there and the constant droning of traffic. You might get the occasional hoot from a, a ferry heading off to France, but that's a, that's a rather <laughs> nice atmospheric backdrop. And the trek out to the island is all part of the adventure. I completely agree. It take, you've got to get there by boat. And so you land and you're free to explore and possibly not camp and make fires, but I don't think you're allowed <laughs> to do that, Swallows and Amazon style. But also if you look back towards the RSPB, you have a nature reserve called Arn, which is back inland. It's a great heathland. But if you look back away from Pool, up Pool Harbour, uh, sort of whole, that whole sort of estuary area, it's, it looks like a rainforest to me. You can't see any buildings, and there's all these forested islands and headlands coming down to the water. It's one of the really weird and wonderful sights. And you think southern England's got no wilderness areas. This feels like wilderness. So yes. I heartily recommend a, a trip to Brownsea and then a, a look back to the mainland and uh, imagine yourself sailing around <laughs> these little, little islands and islets. And it's great. And, and there are the odd um, nodding donkeys because there are a couple of oil wells there. So there is a little bit of, sort of Dallas, <laughs> a bit of Dallas in, in Dawson. It's a mixture. Yeah, it is. Re- it's really great. It's a really great place. And um, you're very keen on, on getting out and walking. So you get, you've got the Isle of Purbeck just beyond there, which is, which is tremendous. Yes. And in fact, Cameron Gutteridge explored Brownsea Island on one of our podcasts, edition 10, if you'd like to have a listen. And then we've got Britain's best conservation project. Yeah, this is a great one. I'm really pleased this one. It's the Scottish Beaver Trial, where they oh, are yes. testing whether we can reintroduce beavers back into the wild in Britain. Now, this is taking place in Argyll in Napdale Forest. But it's so controversial because landowners don't want anything that upsets their watercourses and fishing rights and this sort of thing. But the, the people in favour of bringing beavers back, because they change the landscape, they're landscape engineers, they cut down trees, they make dams, they change the courses of streams and rivers. They may have this um, ability to sort of rewild upland areas and help the land soak up more water, and which is very relevant at the moment with all these floods everywhere. So advocates say beavers are great for wildlife because they create all these habitats, they're these little ponds where salmon and trout fry can survive. But then you've got the landowner saying, well, look, they're causing all this problem to my rivers, they're damming the rivers, damming the streams, they're cutting down my trees, and why should I put up with this? So the whole beaver trial is a test to see whether beavers can survive. And they've successfully reared several kits each year since the trial started, um, 2009, without any great damage to the landscape. In fact, it doesn't seem to have had any effect at all. But obviously, <laughs> this is a test to see whether it, it could be rolled out elsewhere. And I think we find out this year, 2014, whether they will carry on. Want to watch then? Yeah, really interesting. A really interesting project. And of course, you're starting to hear stories of, I know there's a wild population of beavers on the River Tay in uh, eastern Scotland. And then there's some stories of wild beavers on a river in Devon being filmed recently. So they seem to be 
somehow getting out there. Who knows how they're they're doing it. So then we move on to Britain's favourite holiday destination. Well, that's got to be Yorkshire. Well, yes. (laughs) I don't know. The voting must have been rigged because Cornwall won, not Yorkshire. And in fact, Yorkshire Ah, wasn't even the top three, which is shocking. Shocking. Uh, Lake District and the Highlands came second and third. But Cornwall, it's, we know when we put Cornwall on the cover of the magazine, it's, it's so appealing, yes. particularly in the middle of winter. It is. It's a beautiful place. It's a really interesting place because it's got a sort of rim of wonder, like the, uh, the kind of coves and fishing villages and sandy beaches, mm. rocky headlands. And then inland, it's quite bleak. And you've got these moors like Bodmin Moor and some of the sort of China clay works going down to Redruth and St. Austell. It can be quite quite a bleak moorland-like county. But I think in most people's mind's eyes, it's the lovely seaside attractions and the, the restful Atlantic pounding against rocky headlands and wonderful. Yeah, lovely county. And, of course, has a big chunk of one of the best coastal walks in the world. Oh, well, the southwest coast path, yes, absolutely. It's miles and miles and miles of ups and downs, I found. Um, well, but always thrilling. Uh, but, you know, with every down, there's an there's extremely steep up coming afterwards. But that's, that's the whole joy of it. And you really do earn that pint of doom bar or whatever it is that you have at the end of the day. But, and also, Cornwall has that sense of identity. It's got that Celtic element, which um, does give it a sense of other. A bit like sort of going into deepest Wales or other parts of the sort of Celtic fringe. Of the... Yes, a distinct identity. It does, it does. And, and I, I like that. I think it's, it's good for us to feel that we've moved into a slightly different place. A worthy winner. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's Britain's favourite outdoor brand. It's interesting. Well, Regatta won this. Closely followed. It was really close. This, I think people probably wear all three of these, but Berghaus and Craghoppers, Regatta. So Regatta came first, Berghaus second. Craghoppers third. I mean, very good quality clothing and um, can't really speak for our readers. I think, I guess they must believe the same. And uh, yeah, well done, Regatta, is all I can say on that front. And then we're looking at the reader's photo category. And there's some great entries here. I've seen some of them. And the winner you can see on the show notes for this edition of the podcast on our blog, which helps to understand what we're talking about. But Fergus, can you describe it for those people who haven't seen it yet? Well, normally I'd expect a glorious landscape to win this category. So... It's rather nice to see that Jim George has taken a photo of what he calls black beauty, but it's not a raven-coloured <laughs> horse striding through the landscape. It's a shag, which is a seabird, very like a cormorant, but uh, doesn't come inland and annoy anglers. It stays on the coast. It's an incredible bird. It's got jet black plumage with a sort of oily sheen. has a very, very vivid green eye. Now, this shag is sitting on, a, on its nest. I think it's the Farne Islands, so you can see the sea behind, but from... Beneath it is emerging this little nestling. Now, this isn't a cute little chick that uh, you might want to coo over. This is rather dinosaur, dragon-like creature. But it's, <laughs> before it becomes lovely. Yes, well, before it becomes a shag. Um, and uh, I, th- I, love, I love these birds. I think they've, they've got this, as I say, the green eye, greenish sheen on this black plumage. And uh, it's just a great shot. And the, the mother looks rather proud of her of her youngster so have a look at that i I think it's really interesting that people voted for that one and i'm rather pleased that it was our winner yes it's very easy just to get your camera out and go oh that's beautiful landscape i'll get something in the foreground a nice something to focus on and and those are lovely shots and that's what i spend my time trying to take but i think it's also worth remembering that if you can get a good shot of a character that works as well 
And then there's a lot of competition in Britain's best countryside writer. Yes, this is really a roundup of all the best books that we've reviewed over the last year or so. I recently read this book. It's called Walking Home by Simon Armitage. And I'm, I'm really pleased with one because I think he's such a great character. Now, the book is about him walking the Pennine Way. He's a poet and he... He's challenged himself to walk from the northern end of the Pennine Way, which starts in the borders of Scotland, to his home, which is at the other end, down in sort of Derbyshire area. He decides that he's not going to take any money with him, but he's going to recite poetry and hope that the kindness of local people will give him enough money of food and lodging to keep him going along the way. So that's part of it. But actually, that's quite a small part of the book. It's more his, it's a real challenge for him at times. There are times when the fog comes down and he's lost in the fog, doesn't know where to go. And I, I imagine the Pennine Way to be this well signposted route all the way through. But from what Simon says, you can quite easily get lost. And there's all these, yes. all these other meandering routes that can lead you astray, particularly in the fog. And he experiences genuine terror at times. And then he experiences companionship, moments of great joy. It's a real epic, Homerian epic. <laughs> and, um, and, he, and he doesn't pull any punches when he meets someone he doesn't like. I suspect he's changed their names, but he certainly, um, yes. certainly lays in. But in his inimicable style, he's got a, just a nice acerbic touch at times, which you want from a writer. You don't want someone to go, oh, it's marvellous, everything's great. Oh, dear, I had a terror. You want that. <laughs> personality and that edge yeah real edge is exactly right and so he 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 pipped robert mcfarland's the old ways which is again about walking in britain and europe and other parts of the world that's a wonderful book but i sort of feel that simon armitage's book just has that more local appeal to british readers because it, he feels like one of us whereas robert mcfarland definitely sort of a young fit man with he knows so much about absolutely everything Maybe people identify slightly more with Simon Armitage as that. Yeah, I think that with Simon's book, he wasn't afraid to show you that he didn't know something. And I think that's yeah, part absolutely. of the essence of why it's such a good book, along with the writing and all that. But I think the element of being able to identify with him is a big part of the reason. Perfect. Absolutely well said. Yeah. And then the final category. Yeah, which is, the, which is uh, always uh, keenly fought. <laughs> I can imagine the... it's interesting for you guys because you know all the people who are in this category. Yeah. Well, this is Rural Presenter of the Year, and we, we sort of wash our hands of this one in some ways. So we ask Radio Times <laughs> magazine and, well, to come up with their list of the most, in their view, most popular TV and radio presenters who sort of cover rural issues. And so that, that means we don't sort of get accused of any favouritism. <laughs> quite right, too. And it's great. I mean, Matt Baker won, and it's quite easy to see why. I mean, he's on, he's on Country File, obviously, but he's also on the one show. So he gets a sort of double hit <laughs> and um <laughs> he's he's just a really likable guy we've just done a photo shoot with him at his home just with him his wife and uh, their new border collie pup and we just want him to talk about what it's like with a border collie is it the sort of dog that our readers would like he just welcomed us in they're both absolutely charming he and his wife and yeah he's such a busy man but took all the time out to spend to tell us about the dog and various training routines and i thought what he shows on TV is very much who he is. And I'm sure that's the same for other presenters, but I think it just really shines through with Matt, and clearly that's what people go for. 
I think the converse is true too as well because there are several presenters who don't have the same appeal mm. as they do on the screen if you meet them in person. Yeah, absolutely. When you meet him away from the screen, he makes time for you and he makes you feel like you're worth talking to, which is a, which is a great skill. A lovely guy and worthy winner as well. So that's this year. So when are you starting it all over again? I think we'll be looking at mm, sort of October time. when we. So we'll have had another year of all sorts of fun and frolics in the countryside. Lots more books published, more conservation projects. And maybe people will choose a new holiday destination this year. We look forward to seeing. But we might introduce a couple more categories again. So we'll launch again in the autumn and publish the results late January next year. And of course, Countryfile magazine, available at all good news agents. That's right, and uh, available online too. <laughs> Fergus, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks for listening to another edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Audioboo or on iTunes to make sure you always get the latest episode. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep walking. <laughs>